baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for our weekly chat about the Braves and Major League Baseball and in particular, the best type of baseball there is. That's postseason baseball. And the best thing you can do in the postseason, of course, is win and win series. And the Braves finally did that for the first time since way back in 2001. They broke their 19-year playoff drought by beating the Cincinnati Reds in the best two out of three and winning their wild card series and advancing to the playoff bubble as the Braves will jump on a plane and head to Houston where they await their opponent in the National League Division Series. We have a lot to talk about on this episode of the show, quite obviously, as we unpack everything that happened in the wild card series and get you ready for the Division Series as for everything that has to do with the Atlanta Braves anyway. And to help me do that, I'll have Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on in just a minute. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave those ratings and reviews. If you like the show, be sure to tell a friend as well. You can also find the show on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley on Twitter, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can also find Gabe Burns on Twitter at Gabe Burns AJC. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram. And you can find every episode of the show and so much more at FromTheDiamond.com. Well, a very, very busy but very brief series it was for the wild card as the Braves and Reds matched up. And, of course, the Braves, behind their pitching of all things, were able to advance and dispatch the Reds in just two games. 22 consecutive scoreless innings from Braves pitchers was, I think, the big headline here. And a man who sat there and watched all 22 of those innings at Truist Park is Gabe Burns. He, of course, covers the Braves for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Gabe, great to have you back on the show. It was an eventful 48 hours uh, down at Truist Park as the Braves finally punched their ticket past the first round of the playoffs for the first time in about two decades. Yeah, thanks for having me, Grant. It was an eventful 22 innings, even if the scoreboard doesn't really say Mm -hmm. that. You know, I... It was definitely an Atlanta-Cincinnati playoff series, uh, that's for sure. There there wasn't a lot of fireworks. And and that first game, though, I I don't know how you would describe it. I don't know if epic is the right term, but it was something to watch unfold, assuming, you know, most of our listeners here watched it. It was quite a series. The Braves deserve a ton of credit because, you know, for the 60 regular season games, this was a team that was slugging its way to wins and trying to compensate for starting pitching that just wasn't there when Freed wasn't on the mound Mm -hmm. and fortunately for them Freed was on the mound and so was Ian Anderson and we'll get into it but for him to come up and deliver like he has has really just changed this season for them. It certainly did and we're going to get into the individual performances but I do of course want to start with what happened on the mound for the Braves in general as I mentioned 22 consecutive scoreless innings 13 alone in game one to win it one nothing in walk-off fashion but Atlanta pitchers 
doing what they did in this series, as you and I were running through all the possibilities of the series, the strengths and weaknesses of this club last week, I can't say that anybody saw that kind of domination coming. No, not at all. And we talked about this the last time I was on. You know, everyone's been looking up the numbers and, and what I've written about the Reds. I mean, there were signs that this was possible for them, that they just couldn't do much offensively in this series. I mean, it wasn't – I mean, you could had you told me it would play out in a fashion where they just struggled to score runs and they lost in two games, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's perfectly believable. What was hard to believe was just how Braves pitching made them look. Yeah. I mean, they had their opportunities. I think they were one for 14 with runners in scoring position in those two games. And certainly in game one, they had several opportunities to take a lead in, in extras, and the Braves just continued to respond. You had the Tyler Matzek when he struck out the side after yeah. getting up those two hits. I mean, there was just so many big moments for these relievers. You know, we're focusing so much on the starters, and rightfully so, but the way that the bullpen handled this team, you know, again, there were signs that you know, this was not a great Reds offense all year. They scored mostly via home run. We know that. And we knew it was a possibility that the Braves could wind up winning in two simply because their offense is just that much better. But certainly the way this series unfolded, I mean, a, a ton of credit goes to those pitchers. I mean, to not allow a team to score a run in a series, even under the best of three format, is just very impressive. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it was impressive the way that the Braves did this as well because Atlanta's offense wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire, as we'll talk about a little bit more and as you touched on there. And it was about... Who was, I think, going to get the early lead? And one run had to kind of feel like three runs, the way that the bats were going for both sides. It was dominating pitching from the starters, both for the Braves and for the Reds. And in that battle of the bullpen, and I know that we felt like, hey, the bullpen is going to play a major role for the Braves. It's You're going to have to have those guys covering those late innings and protecting those leads because the starting pitching was, no pun intended, a total wild card for the Braves even with Max Fried, who was stellar in game one. He overcame that couple of hits in the first inning, then just cruised through a seven-inning outing, his longest of the season. And I have to admit, I was a little bit concerned about what would happen if for some reason he wasn't able to cover those innings, keeping in mind what his workload was in September. But those fears, Gabe, were apparently unfounded. And what did you see from Freed? I mean, he looked like he had everything working, and I thought he was back to his early season form in his playoff start. He was dominant. I mean, he looked like a guy who had been there. You wouldn't have thought it was his first postseason start. I mean, obviously he has pitched in the postseason before, but you wouldn't have known that was his Mm -hmm. first start. He looked like a seasoned vet. Everything that we've really said about him uh, from the beginning of this season, you know, when Soroka went down, he assumed that mantle of ace. He assumed that additional responsibility. And I don't – obviously, when you're one of the five starters, you have a ton of responsibility. But when you're elevated to that number one role and the team is counting on you as a stopper and whatnot, there is more pressure there. There is more responsibility. And he answered it as well as you ever could have imagined. He comes into this. He gives up those first two hits, and you're going, oh, here we go. Right. What's going on here? Is he not fully recovered? What's going on? And, I mean, that he settled in from there and – you know, I don't think there was much doubt if he was healthy that he would pitch well, especially against a lineup like this when he's so good at, at uh, keeping the ball in the ballpark. So that was a kind of a key thing for him, too. But, man, from a mental aspect, from a physical aspect, you know, his velocity was back to where you expect it to be with him, too. I mean, you, there's really nothing bad to say about that performance. And, mm-hmm. and also for him to do it 
matching Trevor Bauer, knowing that he was not going to get much to work with, if anything. And he wound up getting nothing to work with. But for him to go up against the guy who most people think is going to win the Cy Young, and who, by the way, it was evident early on had his A-plus stuff. 100%. Uh, yeah, so for him to match him pitch to pitch like that, I mean, he Freed really did. I mean, he checked every single box you could possibly want him to in that game. It was exactly what the Braves needed, and I think more than they could have hoped for, really, because as I looked at Max Freed down the stretch and the concerns that I'm sure that even if they weren't stated, that probably had to be floating around in his head a little bit, maybe a little bit in Brian Snitker's head as well, just based on the fact that Freed had not been able to throw much in September, he left his final start of the regular season with what you know could have been a troublesome ankle injury, but fortunately that didn't seem to be a problem whatsoever. And Max Freed, as you mentioned, not his postseason debut, but his first postseason start, I mean, he passed that test with flying colors, gave the Braves just what they needed, matched up with a, one of the other Cy Young favorites for this year. Freed, of course, I think is going to be top five at the very least in Cy Young voting this year. And Trevor Bauer was exactly as advertised. He was dominant in game one. But the Braves able to walk off in 13 innings. We'll talk a little bit more about that and Freddie Freeman giving the Braves a great postseason moment, grabbing one for himself as well. But I want to stay on the pitching because if Max Freed was great, Ian Anderson was arguably just as good, if not a little bit better, as the rookie made just the seventh start of his big league career, his postseason debut. Anderson proceeded to strike out nine batters and six shutout innings. I don't know that this kid would have even gotten a real chance this year had it played out under normal circumstances with no stoppage for COVID-19. And now you look at it, and things certainly worked out for him. And by proxy, things worked out pretty well for the Braves to have Ian Anderson get the ball in game two and dominate that Reds lineup. Yeah, again, like Freed, it was everything you could – it was quite certainly more than you could have imagined. Mm -hmm. You know, Smith said a few days ago that the bullpen would be ready and that they would be happy with really four innings. Right each out of Anderson and Kyle Wright if it came to that. And, I mean, Anderson just blew by every expectation. I mean, I mean, you could certainly say he, he looked better than Freed. I mean, you could definitely argue that. Yeah, he, um, it was electric. Yeah, yeah. For a guy making his seventh career start, you know, he outpitches Garrett Cole in his debut. Uh, really only had one or two kind of rocky moments. But, I, mean, I mean, again, we're, we're talking about a seven-star sample size. But, you know, you look at some of the prospect rankings entering the season and even some scouting reports of him, it actually feels like he was quite underrated just given what we've seen so far, just his stuff, his mentality, his maturity. Yeah. Um, look, he was the Braves' top pitching prospect, but, you know, it's not like he, he was not the number one right-handed prospect in the game. And, you know, he, I think even Baseball America kind of said he could settle in as a middle-of-the-rotation arm. Nothing that we have seen says he won't be a frontline starter. And it's a small sample size, but, I mean, again, it's, it's like what we just said with Freed. He is showing everything that you want to see out of a young pitcher and more. And for him to go up on that stage, knowing that, you know, if, if they win that game, they can advance. Does no crowd help? Um, they were at home, but mm-hmm. I, I think to an extent, you know, not having that atmosphere at least can be calming. Um, even without your home fans, I, I think that that might lessen the pressure a little bit and that, and that can only help. There's probably people who see it different ways, but it was everything you could have asked for out of him. And the Braves have to feel really really good about their top two guys going into the NLDS yeah they most definitely do and one of the interesting notes I saw I mean we knew Ian Anderson yeah he's only got six regular season starts under his belt is a rookie being thrust onto the big stage in the playoffs for his team surprisingly 
At 22 years old, 152 days when he took the mound in game two of that series, he was only the youngest pitcher to start a postseason game for the Braves since last year when Mike Soroka, who was 22 years, 63 days, got that start against the Cardinals. Prior to those two, though, you can track it all the way back almost 30 years to young Steve Avery in his first full big league season National League Championship Series. I remember this one as a kid as vividly now as I did then. 21-year-old Steve Avery dominating the Pirates in that NLCS as the Braves went on to the World Series in their worst to first season. So for a team and for a fan base, I know that kind of lives and dies in its history and certainly we're steeped in that when it comes to the pitching department. Pretty good group there when you start talking about what Steve Avery did as a young pitcher for the Braves, what we've seen Mike Soroka do thus far and hope to see him continue to do as he gets back on the mound next year. But Ian Anderson just stepping right into that stage, right under the bright lights and giving the Braves the start of his young career. That certainly was a big part of the Braves winning game two of this series. And I don't know that I'm necessarily surprised by it from the little bit that we got to see during the season. But I think, as you said, I didn't walk into the playoffs expecting either Ian Anderson or Kyle Wright to walk out and do what they did in this series. And Wright didn't even get the opportunity yet. And we'll get to him when we get into the division series. But Ian Anderson, I think it's safe to say, exceeded any and all expectations the Braves could have possibly put on him. And they've got to be excited about seeing him get his next test in the National League Division Series. No doubt. Really optimistic if you're the Braves. You're looking at this, it's the best out of five, and you're going to have... Now, what happens with the rotation after those two is another story, but you have to feel really, really good about your chances. You know, if you're going up against Sixto, if you're going up against Darvish, whoever, Mm -hmm. um, you definitely have the guys who can match or, or, you know, be better than them. So they have to be feeling good about that. And, you know, it's a combination, you know, we try so hard and like in today's time, we always want to like pin blame on one thing or another. And sometimes it really is a combination of things. It can be true that both the Braves pitchers were phenomenal mm-hmm. and the Reds offense struggled mightily. It's not an either or thing. I, I think that, you know, if the Reds had had an opportunity against worse pitchers, they probably come through in a couple of those moments. So, but uh, you look at this, you know, the, the next two teams that the Braves could face, it, uh, their offenses are not exactly menacing either. So that is another encouraging development for them. So they'll avoid the San Diego offense and the L.A. offense until the for next now, round right. if they advance to it. Yeah. So it's another opportunity for them to have Freed and Anderson go out there against whichever of those teams and just continue to build on what they have because – I mean, yeah, it's about this year right now, but it's also about the next five years that this team is has a seems seemingly has a contention window, and uh, certainly, you know, Braves fans should be excited to think about you know Soroka coming back and having, you know, now that three-headed monster. We'll see about right too. Maybe you have four, but you're looking at next year's rotation and going, well, if you have Freed, Soroka, and Anderson, you're that's a pretty good start to uh, you know one of the best rotations in baseball. You should feel very good about that. And you brought up an interesting point, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be just, well, Braves pitchers were that dominant or the Reds hitters were that bad. I do think it was kind of a blend of the two. And the same could honestly be said on the flip side of that coin for Reds pitchers who were very good. Braves offense, though, some alarming numbers that we'll talk about in this episode as well. As I look at it just in the overall big picture kind of thing, I'm interested to get your thoughts on, because you were there, I, mean, I was watching at home on TV, but the glare of playing a noon game without a cloud in the sky at Truist Park, I feel like that was a disadvantage for the hitters and might have been at least a little bit of a factor in why we were seeing those monster strikeout totals for both sides. 
How do you or where do you weigh in on that? And and do you think that was perhaps at least a little bit of a factor? And did you hear any hitters from either side really saying that hey, the start time was not ideal? Yeah, I think uh, Freddie kind of suggested that when he was talking about uh, his at bat there um, later in the afternoon. You know, nobody really came out and just said it, but I would think it did have at mm-hmm. least some effect there. I mean, if you just if you're watching these guys, I mean, there were a lot of solid hitters who just looked terrible in this yeah. series to put it bluntly on both sides i mean you had you saw some of the swings from the braves guys too but some of the swings from moose and Votto and some of these guys were just uh, way off the mark and and again some of that might be if it's how much you can pin on the time of day i i don't know it's impossible for really me to say without sure. being out there but yeah. again it, it that you know, Freed pitching well, you know, Anderson, the way that his delivery is, and it's so hard to tell what's coming out of his hand. I mean, there's there's just and, – and then the fact that these guys, you know, on Cincinnati's part, they're not they're, – it's not a tremendous offense to begin with. And with the Braves, I mean, yeah, we can get into the offense. I would say it was certainly disappointing to see how the offense played, despite the fact that they were facing two really impressive pitchers. And, and, and there, and there's a lot of different, you know, things that can go into that, but at least this time they can say, okay, well, you know, the offense didn't perform as well as we have hoped, but we can try to correct that for the next round. And that's something that they have not had the luxury of being able to say for nearly two decades. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just one of those things where they're going to go back and look at it. And, and again, a, a ton of credit goes to, Bauer, Castillo, and, you know, the guys in the Reds' bullpen, including uh, including Lucas Sims, um, which that trade uh, worked out for both sides. Yeah. Well, the offense was on the receiving end of some pretty good pitching. There's no two ways about that. Trevor Bauer was dominating before he chopped his way out of game one in that scoreless tie, and Atlanta struck out 21 times in their game one win, then 14 more times in the second game. Gabe, you touched on a little bit of this, but I'll just flat out ask you, are you concerned about the trend with those strikeouts, or is it just kind of part of the game now and also part of the identity of this powerful Braves offense? You know, people ask about it. I think that's the bottom line. I think it's part of the identity of this team. Now, should you be striking out that much? No. I yeah. mean, you want to limit that because, you know, a simple sacrifice fly uh, would have gone a long way in this series. Just ask Cincinnati. So, mm-hmm. you know, the strikeouts, it's a lot. But at the same time, you, you have to also understand that this is an offense that's going to strike out a lot. They had the third most strikeouts in the majors this season. They have players who strike out a lot. Even in the case of Acuna, he's a guy who's going to strike out a lot. Ozuna's going to strike. Like, it's just what this offense is. And at the same time, it's typically this offense is going to bash a lot of home runs. They were second in the majors in homers. They were third in strikeouts. So it's, it's, it is a feast or famine offense to – to a pretty large extent and you know i understand complaining about the strikeouts and there was a lot about this series that was really unacceptable at the play from both sides yeah but again sometimes you just kind of have to live with the good and bad i I think that no matter what like you're not you're not going to find really a perfect player i guess except mike trout but he's pretty good you know yeah, like like in Acuna's case, I mean, is this a guy who people talk, you know, he's going to strike out a ton. Well, okay, I mean, maybe that never develops. Maybe he's just a player who always strikes out a ton. But you can live with that because, I mean, he's pretty good. It's like saying that Tom Brady can't run. Right, um, yeah, you know, he's I splitting mean, hairs he, at that point. 
exactly. Like, yeah, it'd be great if he could run, but uh, when you can do everything else, it's okay. So it's just one of those things where it's, you're not going to find the perfect player and you're not going to find the perfect offense. So the big deal for the Braves will be, okay, yeah, they strike out, but they've overcome it to this point. And now I think one of the big takeaways from this series was that, okay, they struck out a lot. They did not homer until that eighth inning yeah. where they added the insurance, but they showed that they can win these kind of games. They showed that their bullpen, that they – poured a ton of resources in for this very month uh, has shown that it's up to the task and you at least know you have two starters who can handle it. So I think you definitely come away from this encouraged because you did not give anything close to your best offensive effort, but you still came out ahead and you can, you can get that looked at and try to get it improved. Yeah. And let's talk about that Braves bullpen for a minute too, because it was strong in this series. They combined for nine scoreless innings to help win these two games. And when you think about it, you're trying to take two out of three, your bullpen had to throw nine of those innings to win the two games. Didn't allow a run. Chris Martin's final weekend injury scare did not sideline him. He was right in the middle of all of that. Everyone seemed to be contributing. You mentioned Tyler Matzak had a huge moment. Mark Melanson looks good. I mean, pretty much everybody, even when it did waver or bend, it did not break because somebody came in when that bullpen door swung open and put out that fire. So a group effort, and it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, and I I think you've already alluded to this. We're going to need to see even more of that from the Braves bullpen as Atlanta continues their postseason run in the National League Division Series and beyond. No doubt. This team, if it's going to win the NL, uh, which is, I mean, that's, that's the goal here. So if it's going to do that, they're going to have to lean on their bullpen because without these off days, I mean, you're going to see in this next series, you're going to see Freed once and you're going to see Anderson once. And as great as they both were, you can't bank on them being that good again. That's pretty tough to do. So they're going to have to lean into this bullpen. I mean, they poured all these resources into this bullpen. This is by far the best bullpen they've had in a long time. And we see it every year how important relievers are in the tournament per se so which it is this year uh, most certainly i mean we're talking about these brackets and baseball basically started off its postseason with a sweet 16 which is pretty crazy because we're not talking about a 64 or 72 or or whatever the heck the field is now in march madness but this september slash october madness that they've got going on 16 teams that was a, a pretty big way to start out the postseason and from that perspective it certainly made it interesting and intriguing to have these matchups and these three game series to start it out yeah, and the bullpen and the bullpens are big. And you look at the next round, the Braves are going to have a bullpen advantage again. And you know, if, if they advance, I mean, there's a chance they have a bullpen advantage again. I mean, this is this is their big like you know, I mean, again, the offense is feast or famine. You don't know. You run into a good pitcher. You know, we've talked a lot about good pitching beats good hitting in the playoffs and all that. But the the bullpen could be the key to this whole thing for the Braves. And and what we've seen so far is. Really, really encouraging, not just from the obvious guys, but from people like Matt Zeck, who to step in there like he did to have back-to-back key moments and in innings in that game one. I mean, and then to throw 24 pitches, come back out the next. You, could, you never could have predicted this with him <laughs> when he was at spring training. Yeah. But, I mean, he's been a huge member of this thing. And what a story he is, too. And, and I tweeted this during that game, and this was even before he came back out and did even more to have, I, I would say, even a, a bigger October, well, October, September 30th moment for the Braves in game one was that there were a lot of big stories about the Braves this year, whether it was Freddie Freeman's MVP campaign, Max Freed, Adam Duvall. I mean, there were all kinds of just different individual stories for a lot of different guys. But Tyler Matzek was out of baseball a couple of years ago, has worked his way all the way back. And while he was a starting pitcher 
with the Rockies in a previous life. Man, the bullpen certainly looks good on him, and the Braves plucked themselves a very nice arm to put into their mix, and he certainly made himself right at home in his first playoff outings for the Braves, a huge member of a bullpen that did a number on the Cincinnati offense. Yeah, I mean, he was big. You know, Mentor's resurgence has been big. How about Will Smith? And Will Smith, yeah, and he's starting to look like himself. Yeah. Uh, What was it in the regular season? He gives up seven homers on 11 hits. Is that right? Yeah, that's a far from convenient total for a 7-11. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And and he's a guy, too, who you can give him a little bit of a pass given how his season started. Uh, Obviously not ideal. So they didn't get him to pitch against the Orioles on a Wednesday night. They got him for those kind of moments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for him to come through is another – again, this little two-game stretch here was just – Despite the offense, it was littered with just really encouraging developments and just individuals. Just you come away from this going like, "Wow, you know, what did we learn about Matt Zeff? Well, you know, I mean, we learned that he can handle this. He's not somebody who's going to wilt under pressure. We see that Will Smith is is getting back to where he needs to be. He looks like Will Smith again in that series. I mean, Chris Martin is big. Like, there's just so many takeaways from this. The two starters, um, the Braves should come out of this. I mean, look, I get it. The offense was dreadful for, you know, basically the entire time until the very end. And that credit goes both ways. But they, they should come out of this feeling really, really happy with how that unfolded. Yeah, and any Braves pitcher that has either a celebrity or a musical counterpart, as far as the name is concerned, had a pretty good postseason start against the Cincinnati Reds, whether it was Will Smith or Ian Anderson or Chris Martin. I mean, these were guys that were a huge part of this as the pitching staff for the Braves again with 22 consecutive scoreless innings. In fact, I tracked this all the way back to the last time that the Braves and Reds met in the postseason, which, of course, was 1995, a four-game sweep in the NLCS. Braves also shut out the Reds in the final game of that series. So, really, they haven't allowed a run to the Cincinnati Reds in a playoff series in the last 31 innings, and they've never lost a postseason game to the Cincinnati Reds in the two matchups that they've had. So the Braves with a sweep back in 95, and they start out their postseason run this year with a sweep of the Reds in 2020. This also was the end of something Braves fans have longed to hear the end of, and that is, can the Braves win a first round in the playoffs? The answer this year is yes. The last time it happened, they dispatched the Houston Astros back in 2001 at what was then Enron Field, which is actually where the Braves are headed now, as it is Minute Maid Park as they go into the postseason bubble. So that's a little bit of irony. There were five Hall of Famers playing in that game, three for the Braves, two for the Astros. Greg Maddox started the game for Atlanta. John Smoltz saved it. Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones both homered in that game as well. So when you start thinking about the last time the Braves won a postseason elimination game, it's been a hot minute since they've you know won a series, salted one of those away 19 years, Gabe. I would say that while this year's club, as we talked about, probably didn't feel all of the pressure of that, I know this had to be a relief for Braves fans everywhere, and I say that from having spent the majority of my life either pulling for as a young fan or working in and around the Braves organization in radio over the past 15 years. This was certainly a welcome sight to see the Braves, the last man standing at the end of a postseason series. It's huge, and I know that they kind of, you know, I mean, they're going to they downplay it and everything, but just for the community – all the fans across the South and nationally. Yeah. I mean, the Braves do have, still have very much have a national fan base. Absolutely. I mean, and everywhere we travel, Braves fans pack in everywhere. Um, and TBS is long gone, but they still have a huge national following. It's big for everyone. It, it's a relief. 
I say that, you know, I, I tweeted it yesterday, like I'm 26 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up watching this team. Uh, I got into sports as a Braves fan. And, you know, I was a fan and I've covered the team now since the middle of the 17th season. And as a 26-year-old, this is the first time that I can remember them winning a playoff series. I was too young in 01. So for a lot of us, and that's crazy to think about. So for a lot of people in my age group, this is really the first time that we can remember the Braves actually advancing in the postseason, Uh, which is pretty crazy when you think about the amount of just the talent and the Hall of Famers that this organization has had in the last 19 years. Um, it, it, it's crazy to think that they hadn't won a postseason series over, over that time. But I know that, that, you know, they had four more years of that division title run, and then they had, you know, they've had some good years since. Yeah, we know. Well, obviously, we know very well what's happened in the last two years. Uh, so it's it's been uh, nearly two decades of uh, misery, um, if that's the right word to describe it, because there were certainly, mo- you know, the Kimbrel moment. Yeah, well, futility, I think, is a great word for it, if nothing else, because they were getting there. It was just being able to do something once they got there for a variety of reasons and for a variety of clubs and even three different managers. This thing was just not going the way the Braves wanted it to go, no matter who they were facing. And, you know, it creates that mindset, you know, when you're Mm -hmm. a fan, too. It's like, oh, God, here we go. You know, they're going to make the playoffs, and who are they going to lose to this time? Right. And last year didn't help either. I mean, they were mm-hmm. look. They were better than that Cardinals team. I, I, continue, I continue to say like, they yeah. had a lot more talent. They should have won that series. Twice. And they blew it. Yeah, they blew it. And yeah, you, know, you give them a pass for the year before that. And then you know we're not going to revisit every single postseason series they played since. You know they had the Astros series <laughs> after that, and there was plenty. But to give perspective, was to win this team last won a postseason series. You know, they lost to the Diamondbacks in the NLCS that yeah. year. And that was the shilling Randy Johnson Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been that long. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, which which is crazy to think about. But, no, I mean, look. And it's not like they just beat the Brewers slipping in or the Giants. Or this is a team a lot of people pick to beat them. Yeah, dark horse um, this, at the very least. I mean, with that pitching staff, you yeah. can't look at the Reds and just dismiss them because they've had some offensive woes away from their home ballpark. I mean – that starting pitching, you hear this over and over, and you brought it up earlier. You know, great pitching beats great hitting in the postseason. That's the recipe. Well, I can sit here and tell you as a guy who has watched the Braves pretty much every pitch for what feels like the last three decades, it, dating all the way back to being a kid, the Braves had three of the best starting pitchers in any generation together, you yeah. know, a trio of them. They're all in Cooperstown. The Braves had the great starting pitching. That did not give them the ability to just turn on a World Series factory where they'd never lost and never ran into other great teams. I mean, I could sit here and, and as you said, we could play what if on some of these other series for a long time, and clearly we don't want to because none of that has anything to do with the 2020 Braves. But I think it all has to do with that club, what they're able to accomplish in that moment in time. But to kind of bring it full circle back to you know the postseason drought that the Braves were in of 19 years, it has to feel good to, at the very least, be able to say we got to the postseason and we won that series, and now we want to do more and go further, and they've got that opportunity to do it. And it has to, at the very least, for the guys who were on that squad last year, which is most of the team that came back this year, to be able to put that Cardinal series that they should have won more than once, been able to put that series and put that team away. They weren't able to do it, and they lost in a fashion that, nobody wants to think about again to be able to kind of push that all to the side not that they're just living in that moment forever but it has to feel like a bit of a relief for that club as well 
to come in and play the kind of baseball that results in winning postseason series, and they want to keep that going, obviously. Yeah, and look, and the confidence gained. I mean, you saw Acuna's tweet last night where he yeah. said, go home. I mean, that's all in fun. I sure. get it. But at the same time, you gain that confidence, and you, when you win a series, you can talk a little trash like that. I mean, that, and that is a big deal because you're showing yourselves that things don't always go wrong. I mean, the, the team was here the past two years, and again, last time we'll mention last year's series, but I mean, they saw how just how what a big disaster that was mm-hmm. um, with missed opportunities, and then Game Five just being just being humiliated. And you know that they had the stuff with Schilt and you know the Cardinals in general. And, you know they anger a lot of people uh, with their stuff. So these Braves players are going to come into their own. They're going to learn more about themselves as players and just, and just winning. It's a totally different, like, look, they won 97 games last year. It means nothing once you get to October. It's a totally different thing when you're winning on this stage. I'm personally, regardless of which team they get, I think they have a really good chance of winning again in this upcoming round. And that's going to be a huge deal too. So just the natural, it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, every now and then you'll see a team just kind of pop up and make a run like that. But usually, you know, it's not an overnight process. And for this team to just continue to mature and for them to get that monkey off their back with the postseason series thing, I mean, I think that's even a big deal that they can – they set World Series or bust expectations, and that's good. But a first-round exit is not acceptable. When you have the talent they have these last two years, the core that they have, you know, they feel great about their coaching staff, uh, the moves that they have made, these a first-round exit, absolutely wasn't acceptable so you know you kind of build up from there but to finish this point off here the reds were a dark horse pick to make a run in the nl a lot of people liked them before the season i did a lot of people liked them now yeah to come together and like oh this pitching and this and a a ton i i want to say more people picked the reds in this series than the braves i don't think the reds were favored but a lot of experts were picking the Reds to be the popular upset, you know, mm-hmm. the, the seven upsets, the two or what, you know, I guess that's what we're doing now with these expanded playoffs. Yeah, why not? Yeah, so this was not a, the Braves just, you know, beat a team like, no offense to the Brewers or Giants, but a team that had no business being there that just slipped in. I mean, they beat a team that a lot of people thought would beat them and they beat them without allowing a run. So yeah. credit to the Braves for getting over that hump and to be, beat a team that was really confident. I mean, they didn't shy away from talking. I'm all for talking, but not after you lose. Bauer is a really confident guy, obviously. Joey Votto said after game one, I look forward to us advancing. You know, they didn't show it on the field, but they, they talked a lot. And it was just a big win for the Atlanta franchise. It's a big win for their fans. It's a big mm-hmm. win for the community. And now they can finally look forward to another postseason series for the first time in quite a while. Yeah, let's talk about one of the big heroes for the Braves. Of course, Freddie Freeman in game one, the walk-off single in the 13th inning. Then Ronald Acuna Jr. gave the Braves the early lead in game two before the offense finally woke up in the eighth. It's the kind of thing that we've expected from both of these guys or come to expect in a short time for Acuna, but a long time for Freddie Freeman. But even better for both these guys to see it in the postseason, especially for Freddie after playing a hurt last year, really getting raked over hot coals, at least on social media, for not helping the team out at all in the series against the Cardinals last year. On a personal level for Freddie Freeman, it had to feel good to be healthy. And even though he wasn't hitting home runs right and left, he got a big game-winning hit. He was on base at over a 400 clip in that series. And out in the field, he was making some plays as well, whereas nothing seemed to be going right for him a year ago with that bad elbow. 
man, Freddie Freeman looks like the MVP candidate that he was during the regular season, and the Braves certainly need him if they're going to be advancing through October in addition to the young superstar and Ronald Acuna Jr. who just keeps on hitting in the postseason as well. That's all he's done in his young career in his first three trips. Had Freddie not gotten that hit in the 13th inning, we might still be playing game one right now. <laughs> I don't doubt that, that was, at all. For him to come through there, you know, I keep saying, you know, he doesn't have a list of memorable postseason moments. I think that was, you know, in a season where he deserves to win the NL MVP, and I, I think he will, but yeah. we'll see. Uh, for him to come through with, you know, not just a really memorable postseason moment, but to win the game one and the Braves finally advance, he has the walk-off hit. Certainly, this was the most memorable uh, playoff moment of his career thus Definitely. far. Definitely. Um, with the opportunity to add more now. but And with Acuna, it's like what we kept saying with Freed and Anderson. It's everything you really want to see, that a player thrives under pressure, a player can thrive on the big stage, and mm-hmm. you know he wants that spotlight on him. So you worry sometimes with these guys with the playoffs. I know it's 11 games, but I would say we have a large enough sample size to know that Acuna is uh, he's a playoff performer. And that's huge for a team that, as we just went over, uh, is not exactly known for its deep postseason runs in recent years. So yeah. to have a guy like that that you know can impact the game in a number of ways, too. And just with his energy, there's just a lot, even when Acuna is, you know, if he goes one for four in a game with three strikeouts, then at least you know that that one hit, maybe he gets on, he steals a base, or maybe he walks and steals a base, or he doubles. They, they, it results in a run. I mean, and, and that look, he did everything he could in that game four. Uh, last year that we saw so he's definitely a guy who thrives under this moment i mean no worries about him whatsoever so and then to see freddie like that feeling good about how this team looks coming out of this time another guy we wanted to see look good before that series was over however brief and small the sample size was you still wanted to see this guy get off the schneid so to speak and that of course marcelo zuna the guy who's hit behind freddie freeman all year long big home run in the eighth inning even bigger selfie on his way to first base. A lot of folks enjoyed that as Atlanta's bats were finally waking up late in the game on Thursday. Really tough series for him. No two ways about that. So I'm taking it as a pretty good sign for him and a little bit of momentum for Ozuna as the Braves head into the division series. Yeah, he looked lost at the plate for most of the series. Uh, he comes through there at the end, and that's good You know, to, to kind of relieve that, that stress I'm sure he's feeling. I mean, he yeah. looks like he was pressing, and I get that he's facing some really good pitching there, but, I mean, just some really bad swings. A lot that we really w- haven't seen from him this year, I would definitely say, you know, I'd have to go back and, and think about it and look, but this was probably the worst he's looked all year for even like a two-game stretch. Yeah, so, if you want to call it you know, that, yeah. I mean, I would be alarmed by it if it was just him. But when you'd strike out 21 times as a team, I couldn't really point the finger at Ozuna and be like, well, this is the guy who's bringing the whole thing down. I mean, it was spread around for the entire Braves and really the entire Reds lineup as well. And I still go back to the fact that maybe playing at that time and with that kind of glare, I mean, these are guys that, yeah, they're great hitters. They are going to strike out some. It is part of the game. It's part of the Braves' identities we talked about. But I just don't think they could get a good read on the ball whatsoever. And whether or not you know anybody's going to say much about that, I know Freddie mentioned the shadows and that kind of thing. Again, it's not explaining away every bat at bat, but I can't feel like that might not have been something that was affecting both teams and now something the Braves won't have to worry about going to play at Minute Maid Park where the roof can be closed and the sun shouldn't be a problem. 
Yeah, it's, it's tough because it was so unlike Ozuna, some of the swings and at-bats that he put together in this. And we know he's a guy who can perform in the playoffs, too, because we, we saw it. Yeah, he can torment guys in the playoffs. So I don't think he was just, you know, choking or anything like that. And I hate when we use that word a lot 100%. of the time for that, please. But playing in Minute Maid Park, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, this neutral site thing, Snit sounded really excited about it. Uh, he wanted to see what it was like. The players want to see what it's like, and they're going to get that chance. Yes, they are. Let's talk about the division series matchup as Atlanta awaits the winner of the Cubs and Marlins wildcard series. But the Braves do know they're heading to Houston regardless. They're hoping to stay in that playoff bubble for a good long while. Uh, let's say three weeks or so would be a pretty good stay. We saw Max Fried. We saw Ian Anderson. Didn't get to see Kyle Wright for obvious reasons. There was no game three. I'd imagine this is how the Braves are going to keep this rotation for the next round. And with no off days being in play in this five-game division series, it's going to be kind of interesting for Brian Snitker when it comes to who his possible starter is going to be for a game four scenario. Do you have any idea maybe which way Brian Snitker could be leaning at this point? Because you don't have the extra days to throw guys on short rest in a five-game series that lasts five days. That's tough. You know, the obvious guys here are Inoa and Bryce Wilson. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, especially in the Noah's case, I mean, you've you've run him out there enough in the regular season and and tried to win that way. Uh, you know, we've mentioned it before. This isn't going to be magically fixed uh, no. when the postseason expands, and you know, it'll be it'll be even. You know, we'll see about the seven game or two, but they have to get there first. So, for the Braves, you feel good about the first two. You know, right? We'll see. Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, he's pitched a lot better lately, but. After that, yeah, I mean, Enoa, Wilson, yeah, I mean, it's going to be heavy on the bullpen probably, which that means you hope that those first two or three guys can do a good job covering their innings. Yeah. It is going to be one of the main storylines of this next series. It certainly will be, and I think that Waskar Enoa and Bryce Wilson are probably not the names that inspire the most confidence among Braves fans, seeing as if you were to – have done a poll and tried to figure out, you know, what possible guys would be starting even come September for this Braves club. I don't think those guys were winning that poll. We saw Josh Tomlin get some starts as well. I like him more so in that long reliever role, you know, multiple innings out of the bullpen. I I just feel like it sets him up better to succeed in that short burst and not try to turn lineups over. I think that's kind of where you start to run into trouble with him. But the same could be true for Enoa, but just better stuff there. And Bryce Wilson was encouraging in his late season finish for the Braves. But I think, Gabe, that we're missing that the very obvious plan would be to win this series in three. I think that's what the Braves are going to be looking to do because they pretty much know what they got in those first three starters that they'd be throwing out there. Yeah, I mean, heck, even this uh, three-game series, you know, they didn't even give Wright a chance to see how he would stack up in a winner-take-all. And they're probably pretty happy that they didn't have to do that, so... I mean, yeah, ideally for them, they just they don't have to worry about it. That would stack up great for them, and then they can get ready and prepare for the NLCS. But, again, you have to feel good about their first two, and we'll see it from there. I mean, I think Wright should be okay, but, you know, without – you know, it was still a small sample size. It'll be a while since he last pitched whenever he, when he does go. Yeah. There's no certainties there, but, I mean, we'll see what the matchups are too. As the Braves await their opponent, there are a few more stories that they are going to be dealing with over the next three, four days heading into their series. And, of course, one of the big ones is Ronald Acuna's left wrist. Ronald's been in the middle of everything pretty much good for the Braves for quite some time now and, again, was in the middle of things in their game to win over the Reds. 
And I, I think this risk is obviously something he's going to have to continue to manage. But I think that we both felt heading into the series that this is something he can play through, and he proved that was the case. But it is an issue that he is going to have to manage that pain. And now this little four-day window and this little break that he's going to have certainly is going to help with that, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, it's welcome time for rest and, and treatment. And, you know, Riley was dealing with the quad thing, but, man, he's been moving great. How about it? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't know that he was dealing with anything. Especially defensively, he looked phenomenal. Some really big plays in, the, in that series. So, it never hurts. I mean, Chris Martin looks fine, too. But, again, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't hurt. I mean, they have a few guys who certainly could use a few days. I And and given where their, ro- where their rotation is, I think there's an argument that is this too much time off? It might be. But for the Braves, I don't think they're going to be complaining about it. No, I, you certainly won't. I mean, you don't want to have a week or more off, but – Brian Snicker also mentioned after game two, look, we're going to come right back to the ballpark. We're not just going to go, you know, watch TV in the hotel for the next three, four days, waiting on finding out, A, who our opponent is, and then getting out to Houston, and then finally get back to work once you get to Minute Maid Park. You really can't do that. They want to keep guys as sharp as they can. He mentioned that some rest and treatment will be good for some other guys, but also they want to run through some sim games and some on-field work even with guys from the taxi squad. And I would imagine Kyle Wright probably factors in there somewhere because he's going to need to throw a bullpen, a competitive bullpen at that, to have himself ready for his postseason debut, which should come in the division series as well. Uh, The postseason roster was something that we talked a bit about, and I think that we got a lot of stuff right on that in terms of some of the wild card spots and how they were going to fill out that 28. One guy that we didn't have on our radar, but the Braves clearly did, was Christian Pache, who made the roster over Ender Inciarte despite not really getting much of an opportunity at the big league level throughout the season. He came up briefly, went back to Gwinnett, never came back for the end of the month of September. Ender got the at-bats where as they were when he was needed, and also the defensive replacement work went to Ender as well, but the Braves decided to go with Pache. They also went with Jacob Webb over Luke Jackson, which is something I felt like would happen. Charlie Culberson back on the roster, as was Johan Camargo as well. And Adani Echevarria kind of played himself off the roster over that final week. Those were some of the big stories we saw as far as the postseason roster is concerned. Throw in the third catcher that I felt like they were just destined to take because that's who the Braves are uh, in the playoffs. It was William Contreras. But Gabe, I think that we got to look at how the Braves are going to construct their roster for this entire October run if they have their way and if injury doesn't change their plans. Yeah, I loved the Pache move. It was a little bit off the radar. I don't think anyone was really expecting it, but loved the move, and it was for the best. Yeah. Uh, I expect him to do it again. He's a guy who, you know, as a late defensive replacement or as a pinch runner, he's extremely useful there. And, you know, even the side benefit of getting him the experience, I mean, he was going to be on the taxi squad anyway. Mm-hmm. But and the same thing for Contreras, you know, and he and he's a pretty athletic guy himself. So to have, have that there, have some more youth, and I mean that, that's a great move by them. We figured Luke Jackson would be off the roster, so that's not really a surprise. I would not expect him to be pitching at all, however long the Braves go. I think that you'll probably see a pretty similar group for the next series too. Uh, you mentioned Hetch played his way out of the job, and and that is very true. He. You know, had he not had that final week, had he just kind of stayed on the bench, barely played, he probably right. may he, he would be on the roster. I over, agree. Yeah. You know, over one of those two guys. So uh, he played himself out of that role. Charlie's back, and you know they kind of slipped in there, but the Braves released Tommy Malone to open up a spot to add Charlie Culberson back. Yeah. 
So we can go ahead and say that that trade deadline move didn't do much. No, probably <laughs> want to hit the reset button on that one. And that, that's a, a roster <laughs> spot that you just weren't going to be able to do anything with. No point in transferring him to the 45-day IL or anything of, of that nature because you knew they weren't going to be releasing Cole Hamels immediately upon putting him on the IL. But Tommy Malone's stay in Atlanta was hardly anything that will – be commemorated in the Braves Hall of Fame anytime soon, that's for sure. And it's unfortunate that move didn't work. But you mentioned that, and that is something they kind of snuck in there. And having Charlie back, at least it's another versatile player that you can put into the mix. We saw him pinch run. Same thing for Christian Ponche. And I thought it was maybe a little poetic or just kind of something that you didn't expect, but you love to see when Ponche got to pinch run for Nick Marcakis and score the game-winning run for the Braves in game one. I mean, that's a cool moment for the youngster, also for the team, for everybody involved that was – either wearing a Braves uniform or cheering for the Braves, but pretty cool for Christian Pache to get that moment. Oh, no, it's awesome. It's awesome for him to experience that. Uh, look, you're in the playoffs. You're not there to give people experience. But the side benefit of him being there, being in that moment, being on the bases, I mean, that's got to be pretty cool for him. It's great for the organization to, you know, next year we're looking at a scenario where he's, you know, in the outfield opening day. I, I say that's a, you know, a strong possibility. Right. Uh, Contreras, is he going to be one of your two main catchers next year? I would say that's a strong possibility. So to have these guys here, again, you're not trying to develop guys in the postseason. Obviously, the bottom line is do you win or do you lose? Duh. But the little little added benefit of having letting, letting those guys experience that, and, and really especially with Pache, for him to have that moment you know, on that stage and everything, I mean, it's really, really cool for him. Yeah, really cool all around for the Braves in that series. I mean – the Braves played in the first wild card game that MLB ever held back in 2012. That was not a good memory for the Braves. You add that into the postseason disappointments that they've had over the last 19 years, it was high time that the Braves had something go right for them as the calendar turned to the month of October, and they opened up this month with a big win to put away the Reds, win the two out of three in that series to advance to MLB's playoff bubble which we're finding out all of the teams that are still playing through the early part of the weekend to finalize that Elite Eight that's going to be heading for both the National League Division Series that will be in the two ballparks in Texas, in Houston, and, of course, in Arlington. And then you've got the two American League sites that are going to be National League parks, of all things, in Petco and, of course, Dodger Stadium. So very interesting how MLB has distilled its playoff this year to these neutral sites and also put the leagues in parks where – nobody's going to have a home field advantage. I thought that was thinking ahead, which is not always something that Major League Baseball seems to do. And they'll be thinking ahead all the way through the World Series because nobody's going to be getting the home field advantage there because the Texas Rangers are sitting at home. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see uh, how all this plays out. You know, it's so weird. The Rays and Yankees are going to be playing at Petco Park in San Diego. Right. So that sure isn't an advantage for either of them. Uh <laughs> And then the Braves will be playing one of these two teams in Houston. And if they advance, they'll be heading to Arlington, mm-hmm. where the Dodgers um, will be playing either the Padres or Cardinals. So, you know, it's it's weird. I look at the teams remaining, and I, I feel like the Braves – and this – it does not matter when the games happen, but I feel like the Braves are quite possibly drawing perhaps the weakest of the remaining teams, at least one of the weakest, depending on – you know, I don't know how you – the Astros experience and whatnot. And then, you know, if St. Louis wins on paper, you know, that St. Louis team is, you know, it's not that scary, but we know St. Louis, anything can happen. But the bottom line is I I do feel like the Braves uh, will get a favorable draw either way. 
Um, that doesn't mean they'll win, but it at least means that they won't be playing one of the really tough opponents that they've even faced in these last two years. Yeah, I think so too. And I'm guessing that just for me, from a, a standpoint of coming full circle, I was pulling for the Minnesota Twins to not only win a playoff game because they haven't done that in quite some time. That's been a, a really hard hurdle for them to clear. But also, if they could win that series, they dispatched the Houston Astros, which I don't think would hurt anybody's feelings outside of any Houston area code. So it's hard to imagine that the Astros could not only win that series, but also have members of their team kind of, you know, speaking as though this somehow is a redemption story or whatever it is that they're telling themselves. Good on you for winning a postseason series. It doesn't undo any of the things you did or any of the scrutiny that you've been under this whole time. So some self-awareness notwithstanding, the Astros able to get past the Minnesota Twins, who a lot of people were looking at this year as the most powerful club, perhaps in the American League, which is really saying something and a team that finally seemed to be built for October. And as it turns out, they didn't really get to spend any time in October as they're done after the two games and really didn't even advance into this month. So difficult to watch that if you're a Twins fan. I think difficult for the rest of baseball to see the Astros advancing, but we'll see what happens as they get into the division series play and how all of those matchups play out. It's going to be, as you said, interesting to watch when it comes to these neutral sites and and what effect that's going to have on clubs but also just to get back to what I think we all kind of recognize at least for the last 25 years as normal October baseball division series championship series world series even with the neutral sites it it finally feels like as the calendar has turned to October it's cooling off here in the south which is very nice and we've got October baseball and that's always one of my favorite times of year I don't know about you oh no doubt you've got the Braves in the playoffs about to start the NLDS, you know, the SEC is back playing again, NFL season's in full swing. I mean, this is what the South lives for. <laughs> Braves heading to the division series. Nice to see that. Very excited about it. And very excited to see what this team can do as they just, you know, win against some of the toughest pitchers that you're going to find. They beat two of them, or one on the days that two of them pitched. Didn't even have to see the third when we didn't even see Sonny Gray in this series. And Outside of the Dodgers, I don't know that anybody else poses a threat with their starting rotation quite the way that the Cincinnati Reds did. And I think that's why they got a lot of choices from experts to perhaps pull the air quotes upset in the series against the Braves. So checked one of these boxes. And I guess at this point, you're looking at what, 11 more wins that the Braves would like to carve off before they're done in October. There you go. 11 more wins and it's going to happen in Texas. So. It's unique. It's weird, but you have to embrace it. And I, I think that the Braves the whole year have really embraced the weird. They've done everything the right way as far as COVID protocols go. And now that you know they're excited to go into this bubble, and they'll uh, they'll be excited to play either the Marlins for the 100th time or the Cubs. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. And if the Marlins and Braves play again for the hundredth time, then we'll talk about it for the hundredth time. Gabe, I appreciate all the time we carved out, and and certainly enjoyed talking about a Braves postseason win as they get past the Cincinnati Reds and punch their ticket to head out to Houston and play in the division series. And we'll be talking all about that division series matchup on the next episode of From the Diamond. But as always, Gabe, appreciate you joining the show and look forward to talking to you again soon. Sure thing, man. Appreciate it. Well, that'll wrap things up for the wild card edition of From the Diamond. The Braves have punched their ticket to the National League Division Series. So we'll have a lot more to talk about on the next episode of the show. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. 
Leave those ratings and reviews. Please share the show with a friend if you'd be so kind. You can follow the show on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley. Gabe Burns is at Gabe Burns AJC. You can find the show on Instagram at FromTheDiamond there. And I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram. And, of course, every episode of the show and so much more is available for you at FromTheDiamond.com. My thanks, as always, to Gabe Burns for making some time to talk about the Braves. And it is a great time of year to do so as they have won a postseason series for the first time in 19 years. And they're looking to win another next week. And I, of course, appreciate you making From the Diamond part of your Braves and baseball regimen throughout this week. A lot of good stuff we got into this time. Hopefully even more good stuff on the next episode of the show as we talk about the NLDS and the Braves continue to make their run through October. Looking forward to covering all of that with you next time. That wraps us up for this week. For Gabe Byrne, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone.